wow, you really hit us, Rod. Um, what a beautiful service, by the way, those songs. Thank you, Rod and Sandra. Um, I'm out of tears already. But um, before we do, do something uh, and get all the kids downstairs, I just wanted to, uh, we have a very special guest that has come this morning, surprised me, and I had to run to the back of the room and, and see her. And I just wanted to say it is a blessing to see you this morning, Susan. And uh, why don't you stand up real quick and so we can give you a hand clap. Susan is the daughter of Norma. And, and Susan, when I see you, I see your mom as everyone else does. And that's the greatest, greatest honor you could ever have. So you don't have your stick. And I don't know how your mom continually got up all the flights of stairs we provided for her. But she did it, and she drove her car, and she was a champion and a warrior. And God bless you. It's amazing that you're here. So, by the way, we don't reserve seating in here for people, but uh, you have a reserved seat from now on. So just so you know. So, amen. Amen. So uh, if we could have our young people go downstairs. Miss Ann's got an amazing Christmas time for you guys. I might cut the service short to run down there with her. So... So we kind of mix things up. I like this. Keep it going. Yeah, she's good. Um, this last week we did joy, right? And this week is, I am way off the center here. There we are. Some of you, has anybody bother that bother? You know. Uh, but uh, last week was joy, this week's peace. But I couldn't let go of joy because um, Jesus came here because of the joy that was set before him to die on the cross, Hebrews tells us. So it was because of joy and his overwhelming joy to see each and every one of us to come to relationship and to know him. That's why he came to earth. So he didn't come to earth just for the, quote, bad person down the street in our block. Anybody got any bad people down the street at your house? He came because all of us were dead in trespasses and sins. It was all of us in need of a Savior. Uh, I want us to get our joy back this morning. If you're missing joy today in your life, you can have it right now. You don't have to wait for your circumstances to line up. You don't have to wait for something to change or something to shift. Uh, you don't need any of that. And uh, I want you to know you can have joy today. Why don't you open with prayer, and then we will turn to Luke chapter 2 and highlight verses 10 and 11. Luke chapter 2 and verses 10 and 11. Lord, we thank you this morning for this day. And God, this is the day that you have made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, I thank You that when we sing today and offer the sacrifice of praise, we sing unto You. And Lord, we thank You that You are the Savior of the world, that You provide and care for all of our needs according to Your riches and glory. And God, I thank You that You own the cattle on a thousand hills, Lord, that the earth is Your footstool, and that when You speak, demons flee, and that, God, at the entrance of light, every dark area of our life must go. God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that You would be the lifter of our heads today. God, if we're down and out, and I know this season can create a lot of, a myriad of emotions for us, but I pray today our focus will be drawn away from all of that and be drawn to You so that we can be complete in You. God, I thank You for all of our friends here today. I thank You for our families. And I thank You, Lord, for what Turning Point is able to accomplish 
because of Your name, which is greater than every name. Lord Jesus, You are our Savior. And the Gospel is good news, and we will never leave that. And we thank You that we can hide Your Word in our hearts and that we can be filled with joy today to have joy unspeakable and full of glory. And it's the name of Jesus we pray and all God's people said. Amen. 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 Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Well, I'll start actually in verse 8. Whenever I read this, I always think of um, little Linus and uh, a Christmas... Not a Christmas story. That was a diff- I'm back on a leg lamp there. No. Uh, Linus with the Charlie Brown's Christmas. And they for- didn't realize they had the Christmas pageantry and all this kind of stuff. And Linus comes out and, and he says this beautiful verse of Scripture. And we're going to start in verse 8. And it says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And they were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize Him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped in snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of other armies of heaven, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. When the angel had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. So folks, I want to tell you today, God is speaking to us. He is proclaiming good news to you. Good news is not just that moment you came to Christ. The good news is right now. Turn to someone and say, Good news is right now. You might be waiting for some good news. You might be waiting for some good news in the newspaper. Good luck. (laughs) You might be waiting for good news here and good news there. But I am telling you, you have good news and that you can have joy right now. I love what John Piper writes. He says, we never outgrow the gospel. Isn't that great? There is never a day in my life that I don't need Jesus as my Savior. And let me, let me phrase it like this. We kind of go in our Christian faith and our Western Christianity and we reach out to God when we're drowning. And we kind of have God be the person that saves us when we're drowning. And yes, He does that. But do you know God saves us every day from ourselves? Do you know that? Do you know that in spite of me and when my motives aren't right and when I'm doing things my own way and in my own flesh, I need the Savior. And don't ever lose that energy of the Gospel, the grace. Folks, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And it should produce happiness for us. Thank you, Sandra. That's good. Now I'm getting into preaching, though. Now I can't be... We have to get energized now. Now we can't... (laughs) So, and here in the cross of Christ is where every enemy of joy is overcome. Divine wrath as Christ becomes a curse for us. Real guilt as He becomes forgiveness for us. Law-breaking as He becomes righteousness for us. Estrangement from God as He becomes reconciliation for us. Slavery to Satan as He becomes redemption for us. Bondage to sin as He becomes liberation for us. Death as He becomes resurrection for us. Hell 
has He becomes eternal life for us. And here I resist the desire to go on with dozens of ways that the cross defeats the enemies of our joy, John Piper writes. You think about anything in your life, He is at victory for us. Anything. Let the weak say, I am. Let the poor say, I am. Through the cross, God purchased and secured every possible blessing that could ever be needed to make us happy forever, one writer says. If you are not filled with joy today, I dare say today, you are in the wrong. <laughs> Didn't get an amen there. <laughs> See, joy is not circumstantial. Happiness can be that way. How many were happy one day and sad the next, right? Let's key on, on some enemies, uh, let's key in on some enemies of joy and how to fight them today. Number one is our circumstances. I think that's one of the, the greatest hindrances to joy in our life. We had a bad day at work, we have a bad day, bad week going on, bad month, things are happening, crazy things are going on. I, I read some recent studies here. We're going to get real scientific with you for a moment because we love science and, and all the metrics that we come up with. And money can buy happiness up to about $75,000, they said. After that, it has absolutely no significant effect on our emotional well-being. Do you know that? And I say this all the time, that if really money was the driving force, then America should be probably the most happiest nation in the world, right? Stocks are doing wonderful, everything's great. But we should be the happiest people because of that indicator. So I've always said this with me. I, I go through phases in life. I remember we were first starting out when we first got married. We had nothing. You know, people were giving us stuff. We had couches from this person and this from that. And our whole house, and it was a beautiful blessing, our whole house was pieced together by the love and care of people around us. It was awesome. We had a hand-me-down couch. That was awesome. Fantastic. Monty and Paulette, they're not here. God bless them. If you're listening, Monty and Paulette, thanks for the couch. We would use TV trays and went to an auction, I think, with my sister and my mom or something, and they, she found this beautiful table. It was for like $25 she got it for. And it wasn't one of those Walmart tables. It was a real table. We got that. We had the air conditioning unit at the end of our apartment. So what would happen was we had the window air conditioning. You know, the window air, when I grew up, we didn't have air conditioning at first. And so my parents, when it would get really hot, my parents would turn on the window unit and then my dad set up this like wind tunnel and if you got in the way, it would blow you out of the house. But you had a box fan in their room in the hallway in the living room and the house was like 62 degrees like in five seconds. It was awesome. But those were on the hot days. But I remember we had this window unit and so the back of our apartment was really nice and cool but then when you'd get out in the living room, me and Anne were like, man, it is hot in here. So... But circumstances, did that mean that we didn't have joy because I had a couch for money in Paulette? Because our circumstances, if you saw my sheets of paper and what I made and what I paid in taxes, you know, I wasn't making anything already and I was self-employed and still having to come up with tax. I mean, I wasn't making nothing. What's your indicator right now for your joy? What's your indicator? And I guess the thing is, what stirs you today? Because if it's not stirred on the internal significance of what Christ 
has saved you and me from. By golly, you're going to need to change it up a little bit. Turn to someone and say, change it up a little bit. Because it will never be right for you. It will never be right. It will never be. Trying too hard, by the way, they say, to find happiness often leads to the exact opposite effect and leads to being overly selfish. Have you ever felt that about yourself? You're trying to find your happiness, my sense of balance in life. And we try and we drive and we go for it and we're trying to find our happiness. And what ends up happening is you end up becoming the most selfish person in the world because it's all about your own sense of happiness. As opposed to trying to reach outside yourself and get involved outside of your little world that you've created, this universe of you. Oh, life is so much bigger than that. Folks, you will never find happiness when you start to get so introspective. You lose the chance to reach out and see the things of God. By the way, our happiness is not determined by our genetics, is it? Can't be. Boy, wouldn't that stink if your happiness and my happiness was based on genetics? Well, I was born mad. Look at my parents. Oh, my gosh. I have no joy. How can I have... They passed down their junk to me. And some of us live our life like that. We think our parents are our problem. Didn't get an amen there. (laughs) Some of us think all of these outside things in our life are creating our sense of lack of joy. Man, if it's genetically induced... We don't have a hope in the world today. We don't have a prayer in the world. The atheist Voltaire said that men are tormented atoms and a bit of mud devoured by death, the mockery of fate. This world, this theater of pride and wrong swarms with sick fools who talk of happiness. That's Voltaire. And you think about what we are teaching our children and teaching them they come from the little mud jumper people and just... A bunch of atoms coming together and just fate and whatever it is. But let me tell you something. You have a call in your life and God created you and you were fearfully and wonderfully made today. You have cause for joy. And I hope I agitate you so much today to where you are convicted when you go back into the dungeon of your own life that you've created and you say, wait a minute, there is another place for me to be today. David Jeremiah writes, happiness is the world's cheap imitation of Christian joy. Happiness is dependent on happenings, or hap, which is another word for luck. Someone who is hapless is luckless. When we have joy, it can be our constant possession because it does not depend on the circumstances of our day. Fantastic! You say, man, I'm not happy. I guess I'm hapless. I, everything I walk into, it just messes up and this and that. Now, you can, you can choose that route and you can do the luck of the draw and realize and try to figure out with fortune cookies and fortune tellers and figuring out tarot stuff or you can get in the book and find that there's a place of joy and purpose for you. You're not hapless today. You can be full of joy. Are you in the middle of a situation right now? Everybody is, aren't they? We interviewed every person in this place. They have a situation. Turn to someone quick. i got a situation. Some of us like to talk about our situation too much, don't we? I'm in a situation. In the midst of your situation, you can experience joy. Lewis Meads says, You and I were created for joy, and if we miss it, we actually miss the reason for our existence. 
If our joy is honest joy, it must somehow be congruous with human tragedy. And this is the test of joy's integrity. Is it compatible with pain? Only the heart that hurts has the right to joy. Wow. Only the heart that hurts actually has a right to joy. So joy can be in the middle of pain and sorrow. You know, they were talking about two different uh, people who, were in the, uh, who died and had a funeral. These were true stories. This one man was a very astute businessman and had power and influence in the community. He didn't have anything to do with God. He always argued against it and was an atheist. And he had a funeral and his wife was so in the morning that she didn't even want to bury him. He stayed at the house for so long I had to get the body out because things were not good. Get, get this body buried. And there was another influential man in the kingdom of God. And as he was at his deathbed, his son came up to him and he, was, he heard him talking. And he said, I see the gates, I see the gates. And he had visions in his mind and in his heart. God was leading him to the gates. And he says, the daughter was praying. She's like, Lord, bring him back, bring him back. He's like, no, no, leave me alone. I'm getting somewhere. I'm going to heaven. And there was a joy. And there was an expression. And some of us in our deepest painful moments of our hour were grasping at straws when the person who knows God understands the greater glory and the greater good that it's not just about things on earth, but it's the things of heaven that we have joy for. This is a joy test integrity. This is the test of joy's integrity. Is it compatible with pain? Only the heart that hurts has a right to joy. So if your heart's hurting today, it's okay. See, we think somehow we have to avoid pain. No, in the middle of pain, you can have some of the greatest joy. And some of the greatest struggles you can go through. And some of you can look back in your life and say, man, that was a really painful struggle for my life. But I thank God that He didn't just leave me there, that He drew me out of it and He gives me a great testimony. Because I overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony today. Jimmy Durante, one of the greatest entertainers of a generation ago, was asked to be a part of a show for World War II vets. He told them his schedule was very busy and he only can afford a few minutes. But if they wouldn't mind his doing one short monologue and immediately leaving for his next appointment, he would come. Of course, the show's director agreed happily. But when Jimmy got on stage, something interesting happened. He went through the short monologue and stayed. The applause grew louder and louder and he kept staying. Pretty soon he had been there 30 minutes. Finally, he took a last bow and left the stage. Backstage, someone stopped him and said, I thought you had to go after a few minutes. What happened? Jimmy answered, I did have to go, but I can show you the reason I stayed. You can see for yourself and you'll look down in the front row. In the front row, there were two men, each of whom had lost an arm in the war. One had lost his right arm and the other lost his left. Together they were able to clap and that's exactly what they were doing loudly and cheerfully. So you might be going through something. But imagine the picture of these two men. One missing his arm here and the other there. And they're in the front row and they're clapping. They're clapping. I can't go. They're clapping. Folks, I want to tell you today, joy comes because God inhabits the praises of His people. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. The power of the clap. It flies in the face of the enemy. It flies in the face of the enemy. 
It flies in the face of the enemy. It flies in the face of the enemy. It flies in the face of the enemy. It flies in the face of the enemy. As the droves of heaven come to our help and our attention, we are awakened with a slap of our hands together. You thought your clap meant nothing. It's not a golf clap, by the way. Isn't Jesus great? Baby Jesus, I'm so cute. You're so proper, aren't we? We're so stuck on ourselves. And to think that when we clap, we wonder what the person next to us is thinking. When we raise our hands, oh, I don't know, this this isn't about them. This is about you with God. You're before an audience of one. When I I don't care who's around me. I don't care if my voice is off or whatever. If I don't praise Him, the rocks will cry out. If two men lost their arms in battle can stand up and applaud together, by golly, my hands must get out of my pants. You are not hapless. You and I are filled with the presence of the Lord. You are not hapless. And if you think today is an event of you finding the right person or the right opportunity, and if you could just get to this and get to that, you will be like the woman at the pool or the man at the pool when he said, man, I just do you want to be healed? Well, I can't get in, God. Everyone else gets in before me. You have to raise your hand, but how many of us give those kind of excuses? We will go to our grave hapless. Andy McQuitty writes, Paul and Cyrus, Paul and Silas were stripped and flogged and thrown into a pitch black dark dungeon with only the stench of human refuse, the pain of their wounds, and the agony of their feet, and the stocks for company, but at least they were together. Acts sixteen twenty five says about midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and they were singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. So I I see the video, we saw that opening monologue, monologue, whatever that was, the the video of a a peace and we see families around tables and it's all perfect and it's all hallmark, but you might be surrounded by human feces in your life. You don't need the candles and the beautiful wreath, and the ham, and the potatoes in order to experience the joy of God today. Because if that's the case, then your life is hapless. And my life is hapless. And it's based nothing other than what strike of luck that I happen to get for my life. By the way, parents, circumstantially, your kids are listening to you and the reactions you have towards life right now. Are you filled with panic? Are you filled with fear? Because when you go through a rough time in your life, through a show of hands, how many people have gone through a rough patch in your life? Okay, good. Now both sides are good. We got, we got it all covered today. So we're all in a good place. Parents, I admonish you. I want to correct you. 
and the way you address the problems that you have. This is a business principle. It's a life principle. It's a spiritual principle. It's all the same. When you go through trouble in your life, as opposed to going down the, the road that you're going to die and everybody hates me and it's the end of the world, as opposed to your kids, hearing that kind of garbage, maybe today you rise up and say, kids, we're going to get through this. How about your kids, as opposed to you complaining about your lack, how about you tell them, kids, this is an opportunity for us to forge ahead and we're going to eat this tube steak like it's a filet mignon today. Kids, listen to the Word of God and you can do the same thing. And if you're not getting that kind of good influence from your parents, then you be the one to step up, kids, and say, Mom, Dad, sorry, you're wrong. I've got a different word for you today. Some of us need some good correction. We've got great doctrine, but we have got horrible performance, don't we? We've got perfect doctrine. God was raised on the third day, was born of a virgin birth, all this. And then you listen to all that spatter, and they are completely joyless people, but yet they have perfect doctrine. What is this? I dare say this. I would rather have someone that doesn't have perfect doctrine and is full of joy than the person who has got everything ironed out from a doctrinal standpoint, and they absolutely are lifeless. Come on. Your kids are listening to you and the reactions that you make today towards your circumstances. Does that mean we don't get through our situations? By the way, I wanted to read this amazing story. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes this, The greatest need in our hour is a revived and joyful church. Nothing is more important than that we should be delivered from a condition which gives other people looking at us the impression that to be a Christian means to be unhappy, to be sad, to be morbid, and that the Christian is the one who scorns delight and lives laborious days. Christian people too often seem to be perpetually in the doldrums and too often give this appearance of unhappiness and lack of freedom and absence of joy. There is no question at all, but that is the main reason why large numbers of people have ceased to be interested in Christianity. Wow. I refuse to have Turning Point Church be filled with people in the doldrums that are sappy sad and they're overestimating the problems in their life and they're underestimating the glory of God. We overestimate our problems circumstantially and we don't even allow God to move. But parents, your kids are learning how to talk to their circumstances by what they are listening to in your very voice. If you're going to be a person that is always, whenever a problem comes, just completely falling on the sword, then go do it, but do it by yourself. Don't do it around me. Where is your faith? Something far greater than what the world can offer. It's our duty, by the way, biblically speaking, to delight in God. I, I, I think it's important for us to understand to stir up a gift. Paul told his son Timothy to stir up the gift of God that was in him. Because sometimes the gift goes down there and it kind of just coagulates in there and we kind of have to stir it up. It's kind of like gravy. You know, you let gravy sit for a little bit. And how many of you have been over to the people's house and you see the gravy just sitting there? It's time to stir that gravy back up. 
But just stir it up. And you do have to stir it up. It's our duty to delight in God. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. There's a beautiful promise for you, by the way, if you're going through a rough patch. And I do say patch because it's not for all time. There's a beautiful promise. I remember this in Bible school. I was going through a hard place. I was in my dorm room. had the Bible open, crying out to God. And He led me to this psalm. So if you're going through a hard patch, I want you to know that your tears are real and the pain is real. And that I love what God does with our tears. Every one of the tears we cry, He puts and saves. Isn't that beautiful? Your tears are not wasted. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on a pilgrimage as they pass through the valley of Baca. They make it a pass of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. And they go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. I looked up that word Baca. I don't even think I'm saying it right, but Baca. It means weeping. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose heart are set on a pilgrimage as they pass through the valley of weeping. So we're going to have to go through this valley. I want to go around it. How many want to go around your junk right now? I want to go, I want to avoid this. I want to, God, where is that stupid detour? You know, you hate detours until you realize why you got detoured. You know, how many of you, yeah, you'll, I'll see that sign, road is closed. I'm like, it ain't closed for me today. So, you know, you'll sneak around, find that time. I've, I don't ever do that. Just, just I'm going, I'm a, and then you realize why there was the detour. It's because eight square foot of cement is missing and your truck will end up in it. Detours are good. And sometimes you come across the valley that you want to avoid. It's the valley of weeping. And we're set on a pilgrimage to it and through it. God, I don't want to go there. God, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. I'm blessed in the city, blessed in the street. I'm the head and not the tail. Yeah, you keep saying that, but you're still going to feel the pain. See, that's my problem with the prosperity message. Is the prosperity message does not declare that you've got to go through. It declares that you don't even have to experience it. So I have a trial and a tribulation that I have got to go through. The valley of Baca. The valley of weeping. But on the other side of this circumstance, God is there. And I dare say this, I love the verses of Scripture that says, God guards our front, but He's also our rear guard. He's got my back. So He goes before me, He goes behind me, and He goes with me. And He says, we're going to have to go through this. And I say, no, we're not. We have to go around. How many have prayed, Lord, I don't want to go through this? And I don't know what the difficulty is for you right now and what season you're in. But I do know that afterwards there is a spring of joy that comes forth and it turns your tears into pools. I really believe that. When we were growing up, 
My parents would always, we, were the, we would always travel and whenever we would go on our way somewhere, there would be a Best Western and my dad would always make sure that there was a pool we could swim at. You'd jump in the pool, we'd go visit family and stuff and we'd be traveling for eight hours. Get me out of this stupid car! We'd run and we'd jump out in the hotel room and we'd get in the pool. And it becomes fun, it becomes joyful as we get through that journey just a couple months ago, me and Hunter were here. We had to drop some things off, and as I was driving, I really sensed the presence of the Lord really strong. Had a re- weird, awkward moment there. Sorry, Hunter. <laughs> we had uh, come in here, and I said, Hunter, I just needed to pray in the sanctuary. It was at night. And I started praying in the Spirit, walking around the sanctuary. And then I was overwhelmed with weeping, and I wept and I wailed, and I couldn't stop. And I don't know if you've ever been in that moment with the Lord where the Lord just overwhelms you so much, and I literally was crying uncontrollably at the presence of the Lord, and then it just lifted, and I don't know what I was crying over in that moment. I don't know if it was for someone or something or if it was for me, but there was such a release, and I want to tell you, That if you've not been able to cry in a while, ask the Lord to give you tears back. Tears will wash over your soul. One of the great theologians said tears are liquid prayer. They're liquid prayer. You're not uttering a word. Remember Samuel's mom. She was in the sanctuary. She was so intense for her prayers that the priest thought she was drunk. She said, I'm not drunk. She goes, but I want a son. So there is that passionate plea to God in the valley of Baca that you go through. David declared this after he had fallen in sin. Psalm 51. After he had murdered Bathsheba's husband. Had a child with her. He said, Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. See, believers today in the house, you might have salvation. And we are not arguing your eternal security today. I am arguing how are you living your life out? Do you need God to restore to you the joy of your salvation? Give me, maybe I return to my first love. God, maybe I, may I return to that. I got lost somewhere along the way. Something got in the way, God. But God, maybe you pray this prayer like David. You say, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation, the reason I live. In Him we live and we move and we have our being. Today you can lay your burdens down. You don't have to carry them. They're not your responsibility in the first place. Your tears are not wasted, but your joy will come in the morning. And I don't know which morning it is, but it will come. It's not automatic, though. You will have to fight for it and fight through it. You'll have to go through the valley. Now you can die in the valley or you can walk through Next circumstance, or the next thing that we blame our joy on, everyone got the circumstances covered, now you know how to handle your circumstances, is the devil. You know, the devil likes to steal, kill, and destroy. Next time you have a problem, come your way. Quit pointing your finger at God and start pointing your finger at the devil. Get mad at the devil. Get really, really, really mad at the devil. Raise your fist up. 
John Piper says, preach to any enemy who tries to kill our joy and who counsels us with despair. See, some of us have our good news, which is the Word of God, and that's our sword, it's the sword of the Spirit, and others of us receive counsels of despair on a daily basis. We just receive the counsel of despair. And the enemy speaks into us, and he speaks into our lives. He is the father of lies. And by the way, the devil's not some symbolic little thing where you have an angel and a demon on each shoulder, the kind of thing. He is real. He was a fallen angel. His name prior to that was Lucifer. But all the enemy wants to do with your life is to steal, kill, and destroy. If he can paralyze your joy, then he will. Nick Wojcik, the great, great evangelist without any arms and legs, says all the enemy wants is my joy to be taken away and my focus to be distracted. It's all he wants for you. If he can steal your joy, he can take everything else away. It's so, so important for us to understand that. You need to take your joy in the Lord a lot more seriously. The joy of the Lord is your strength. By the way, can I tell you the story about the devil? He is nothing compared to Jesus. Do you know that the devil's a fallen angel? So he doesn't even compare. A lot of people theologically want to put the devil at the same level as God. He's a fallen angel. He is nothing compared to Jesus. I learned this very early in my spiritual battle for my mom. Is that name the name above every name? In the name of Jesus, you must go. I was telling my really good friend, Matt, we were having lunch, we were talking. I was telling him about spiritual warfare and attack as we were sitting there. And I told him just the other week, I said, you know what? I was going to the bedroom to go to bed. It was about 11 o'clock at night. And I got these chills and I kind of turned around and I went to the living room. It was dark. I'm like, what's going on? And I stood there for a moment and all I can tell you is that this black thing was there. It was about eight foot tall and it just was standing there. Almost had kind of the shape. I don't know what it was. It was just there. I didn't see any details or anything. But it was funny. For the first time ever, I didn't get all super religious about it. I didn't fast for 30 hours after that. You know what I did? I stood there and I said, in the name of Jesus, go. And I went to bed. And I can tell you before, I don't know if I would have done it that way. Before I would have gone, oh no God, oh no God, what do I do? What did I get? How did this go? What is this? And we start getting into panic and we think panic is a spiritual thing. But it's a really simple thing with your authority in Jesus Christ. You can stand there and declare, be gone in the name of Jesus. See, we forget in spiritual warfare that the Lord declares that our battle's not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. So we have principalities and powers we're up against. I have no idea, and I didn't sit back down in journals saying, Lordest, why was this thing as tearest? I just simply said, go. It didn't matter. When you're in the middle of a battle, defeat the enemy and move on. David wasn't contemplating when he saw Goliath. Lord, why is Goliath in this season of our life? We are Israelites, Lord. Why would he come here? He comes here because he wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. Do you need any other evidence? 
So our assault and our battle, see Christians fall asleep, they lull themselves to sleep, they medicate themselves, and they don't deal with the onslaught of the true meaning of what this is about, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. When you pray over your children, you start right there. Yeah, pray circumstances. Circumstances will come and go. Your children will deal with different giants in their life, and they all do. But in the beauty of the moment, say a simple prayer. Say, Lord, I cover my children right now with the blood of Jesus. Surround them, God, as they go off to school and as they're with their friends. Send your angels before them. Send your word before them. And God, may you protect them in the name of Jesus. But see, it's not that easy just to blame the devil all the time, is it? The enemy is, in fact, one of your joy killers. But I think one of the greatest killers, and that's why I wanted to end with this. Your greatest enemy is you. Benoit Denzet Lewis writes, Anxiety is the most common mental health disorder in the United States, affecting nearly one-third of both adolescents and adults. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody's talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now this is man's treatment. And Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul has been depressing him and crushing him. And so he stands up and he says, Self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. Self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. Folks, let me tell you something about yourself. You must learn to put a stop to the joy-stealing talk going on in your head. You must say to yourself, listen for a moment. See, you have taken yourself as the authority because... We are gods of, of ourselves. In fact, New Age philosophy teaches us to raise ourselves up. You are, uh, you are who you... No, no, listen. You are a horrible person in your heart. Your heart is deceitfully wicked. Don't trust yourself anymore. You trust yourself too much. You trust your instincts and your intuition. It was your instincts and intuition that got you into the problem. And that's why we must declare the word of the Lord to ourselves. Why so downcast, Steve? Put your hope in God. See, we're waiting for someone else to fix us. We're waiting for some special thing or some concoction that we can drink to make it special for us. We're alone with our thoughts too much, aren't we? We drive in the car, we're alone with our thoughts. We go to bed, and we're alone with our thoughts. You know, let me give you a really good practical habit. If you're alone with your thoughts all the time, let me tell you, introduce some new thoughts. I have this habit, every time I go before bed, I read a good book about the things of God. I don't read the book for a long time. Sometimes it literally is two minutes. But this little habit that I started, I'm saying, you know what? I want the Word of God in me before I go to bed. I want the Word of God in me when I wake up. 
Now, if you want to be alone with your thoughts in Facebook, you go right ahead. You'll be the most unsuccessful person in the world. But if you want to fight again, you're going to have to say to yourself, no, I am talking for a moment. Turn somewhere and say, I'm talking for a moment. <laughs> you are going to have to get mad at yourself. Because you are your worst enemy and you create the biggest problems up here. And that's why the Bible declares to put on the mind of Christ. When I am a believer, I don't get the mind of Christ immediately. I have to be reconciled to Christ. I have to work out the salvation. I have to create new thoughts and new habits. I, Steve Lapp, today, isn't it crazy how you can be the nicest person one day and the most horrible person the next? You think about someone in your life, a name, someone in your past, whatever, and you're talking to a person and say, Oh, Merry Christmas, Pastor Steve. And then somebody brings up this person like, That stupid person, what's he going on? We are horrible. Our hearts are deceitfully wicked. I thought you were happy. See, we need good self-talk, don't we? And you've been listening to yourself too long. Folks, it's time to interrupt your own thinking patterns. Don't be defeated. We walk around defeated, don't we? Don't be defeated. I've said this over and over again. One of my greatest sports heroes was Michael Jordan. My room was covered with Michael Jordan. It was amazing. Yes, thank you, Jesus. But he said when they would play, they would walk into the gym and the guys already knew they were going to lose. He said you could just feel it. He said we'd walk in there and the guys were basically just like, here's the red carpet, go dunk the ball and we'll get out of this gym and we'll call it a day. How about Michael? That's what we do with the devil. That's what we do with ourselves. We wake up in the day, we roll up the carpet, that's ah, a loser day, this is stupid, I'm stupid, I'm defeated, everyone hates me, life's not good. And we roll up the red carpet of ourself. And so Mopsy Self walks into the room. Have you seen Mopsy Self before? Nate, have you seen Mopsy? Yeah, I, I, I could be like, oh, so horrible, so horrible. So horrible. And we lose it. We literally lose it. It's not that hard to lose it, is it, either. And that's the scary thing with our joy. It's not hard to lose. But we, we defeat ourselves. For the believer, now I love what John Piper writes, for a believer, we kind of, we must be in a defensive posture. Jesus gave us the victory. So we've already won the battle, right? When Jesus said it is finished, he wasn't talking about his time on the cross. He talked about the complete work. From the old man to the new man, he said, it is finished! And he didn't whisper it, by the way. So there's a completed work. And I love what John Piper says. It's the believer's responsibility now for us to hold the ground that has already been given to us. So it's my responsibility now to hold the ground. God, you gave me my family. This is my family. I don't have to question what mine is. Folks, God has given me this business. And my family, the business. My mom and dad. 
And it's our business. Devil, you don't have, you can't touch this. Devil, you can't touch my church. I'm the under-shepherd of this church. If anybody in here gets messed with, you're messing with me. And my dad is bigger than your dad. Amen. Right? Yeah. That was a good one. That was... <laughs> Holding your ground. Holding your ground. You have ground to hold. You say, I don't have any footing. Yeah, you do. You've got footing. You have to cross. You have footing. You have footing right now. Who cares you failed last week? So what? Welcome to the club. Welcome to the club of a bunch of people who failed last week. And guess what? Welcome to the club of people who failed two weeks ago and last month and six months ago. And we're still here. You're to talk about your sin and the shame of it? You've been given grace. Don't be defeated. John Piper writes, far too many Christians are passive in their fight for joy. They tell me about their condition of joylessness and I ask about the kinds of strategy they pursue to defeat the enemy. And they give the impression that they are a helpless victim. Joylessness is just there. What can I do? They're helpless victims. But you're not a helpless victim. You're a champion. You're a warrior. You're a son and daughter of the Most High. I don't call you slaves. I call you friends. So we don't just passively not fight for joy. We fight for joy. I want to end with this. And Sandra, I'm sorry, you're going to have to come back up now. Now is the time. It's so funny. Because many of us deal with spiritual depression. You know, depression is a big deal and I'm not making light of it. But what's even crazier than depression is spiritual depression. And that's where we have no hope spiritually in our life. We might go through times and seasons and I don't understand the depth of depression. I can't speak to that, but I can speak to spiritual depression today. The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself, Martin Lloyd-Jones writes. You have to take yourself in hand and you have to address yourself. And you have to preach to yourself. You have to question yourself. You must turn on yourself, upbrand yourself, condemn yourself. Exhort yourself and say to yourself, hope thou in God, instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who is God, and, the, and what God has done, and what God has pledged Himself to do. Then having done that, end on this great note, defy yourself and defy the other people and defy the devil and the whole world and say with this man... I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance, who is also the health of my countenance in God. So that's the instructions for you and me this week. We have to defy ourselves. The enemy can't stop you. No devil in hell can stop you. If all the hounds of heaven invaded your rooftop and sat on there and said all sorts of things, they can't stop you. But you know what you can stop? What can stop you? is you sitting down and deciding to listen to the junk and the lies that the enemy has for you and say, I give up. That's what can stop you. I don't care how powerful the enemy is, and he is a very powerful enemy. But no matter what, he can't stop you. Greater is he. What an amazing thought. You didn't realize you were such a problem. But let all those who rejoice 
Put their trust in You. Let them ever shout for joy because You defend them. Let them ever shout for joy because You defend them. Let those who also love Your name be joyful in You. I ask you this question today. Have you learned how to handle yourself? And I need to learn how to handle myself. I need to learn how to handle when things come my way and I get agitated. I, I, I need that. I need to develop the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, self-control, all that. But everyone in here today, Christmas can have true meaning because the Messiah has come. Why don't you all stand for a moment? And I want us to stand before the presence of the Lord together and realize that every one of us can have joy. I think it's a struggle for all of us at different phases and facets of our life that we're dealing with and drawing value from it all. And the good and the bad, all the stuff, that we're not hapless victims, but that we are people truly that need to fight for joy. Today, if you say, you know what, I need to be infused with joy right now with every head up and no eye closed. <laughs> Lift our hands to heaven today and say, I need joy. I need joy. Father God, we thank You today for the family of God. We can bring our problems to You. We can bring our sorrows, we can trade in our sorrows for joy. We don't have to have perfect religion here today. We don't have to have all the semantics in our home ironed out. We don't have to have people figured out. We think once we figure people out, our problems get figured out. We realize today the joy stealers of our circumstances, of the devil and ourselves. And God, today, we thank You that it is for joy that You came that You died on the cross for us. The joy set before You. And I pray a blessing over each person in this house today that they wouldn't find joy in the jobs, they wouldn't find joy in the people, they wouldn't find joy in the Christmas lights. They would find joy in the Savior of the world. Father, we love You today. And let's all repeat this together. Dear Jesus, thank You for the joy that You've given to me. I choose today to fight for it. My life is not about luck, but my life is on purpose. You have given me reason to have joy, reason to rejoice. And I stir myself up and the words You declare over me that I am healed, that I am saved, that I am delivered. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand. We'll start clapping. Amen. Father, we thank You today. We celebrate You. Thank You, God, that You came in our place. God, may we be those carriers, Jesus. May we be Christ to other people. May the light of the Gospel go out of this place, out of these four walls as we connect. God, this evening, I thank You for what Rod and Sandra are doing and 
what they've put together. And I pray as the drums beat, as we have a wonderful time as we reconnect this evening, Lord, I pray that it would touch us and change us forever. Lord, we thank You for the visitors that are here and all You're doing in our lives. We pray a mighty, mighty blessing over that and we would know victory today, even in the middle of defeat. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm all done. Love you guys so much. We've got tons of cookies if you don't eat them. I'm going to chase you and throw them at us. But no. Also, if you're planning on not being here tonight, which you're planning on being here, but if for some reason you get a flat tire and your car breaks down uh, and you want to take a poinsettia today and you're not going to be able to return, um, it's so beautiful. Roger and Marge got these. We want to make sure that they go to your home. So if you wanted to take a poinsettia, they're yours to have if you're not planning on coming back this evening. Love you so much. Got a lot of comments on that tie.